Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you're the God who made this day and that you have made it possible that we would worship you in response to your love and your grace. We are thankful for the gift of Jesus. We're thankful for his coming into this world. And we look forward to his return. We do ask that you would be with us now as you promised that when we gather in your name that you are here in our midst, that your spirit would continue our transformation, that we would be able to see and to hear uh, because of your provision today. We give you praise in Christ's name, amen. I'm pretty sure that every one of us in this room has experienced this before the one-of-us phenomenon. You know, even from a very young age, we have that sense of you're either part of the family or you're not. And if you're not part of the family, uh, we're not sure about you at all. You know what it's like. The, um, the way we can end up thinking that you are like us, therefore we like you. We're the same as you, so we trust you. Because of our clear connection We've got your back. You can count on us because we believe you're one of us. So it seems to be true for sports fans and workers who unite together for squads of specialists here and there, for political parties, for families. It seems to be true for churches. Even though we are united by something uh, far greater than our local church, that we're united by our identity in Christ. We can hear, if we're attending one church, we can hear from somebody else, and they say that they attend that other church. Oh, you're one of them. You're not one of us. You know, this tends to happen to me when I go to some conferences. I believe uh, that the Bible teaches what it teaches in, on the uh, larger conversation here in this world, people would identify my theology as conservative. I just, but I believe it's what the Bible teaches. But I end up going to conferences that have other people that would see Scripture in a similar way. And so when they approach me and they see my name tag and they see Presbyterian on it, I, I think that they don't think I'm one of them. Uh, if they ask me, I'll say, oh, I'm a Presbyterian, and I get that sense of I'm going to need to ask some questions to make sure you really belong here. Well, the remarkable, one of the remarkable things about Christmas is God became one of us. In fact, it's worth a pause. Think about it. God became one of us. The eternal being, the one who was before all time, who is eternal, the, the God who created all things, who keeps all the stars burning, all the planets spinning, the God who is sovereign over all things, the creator of all things, became one of us. Last week, the remarkable thing was that God sent forth his son. And indeed, sending forth the son of God, the, the divine son of God, the, the one with divinity, full, fully divine. Th that's a, a remarkable thing, that, that the second person of the Trinity would come toward us in the way that he did. This week, divinity just didn't come toward us. Divinity became one of us. We've been using as our text 
Galatians uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 4 and 5. And so I'm going to encourage you to please turn your, if you brought your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to that. We'll put it on the screen. As we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, um, we read this together. And so uh, if you wouldn't mind, let's go ahead and stand as a way to set ourselves apart for the reading. And if you're participating in worship at home, we encourage you, feel free to stand with us and, and we'll, we'll read together. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Let us read together the Word of God. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Amen. Please be seated. And may God bless the reading of His Word. And may God bless our time together as well. Well, today we're going to look at those three words, born of woman. And as we look at those three words, we're going to examine Jesus as human. Last week, Josh used three S's, sun, scent, and surprise, with a twist. This week, we will make use of a number of H's as we reflect on born of woman. Here's the first. Born of woman connects us to a historical happening, born of woman. There was a birth that took place. Last night and the night before last, we put on the, uh, a drive-through living nativity here at the church out in our parking lot and had a good number of cars come through, families and individuals and people coming to hear the story. And we had eight different scenes and people within our congregation were acting out the story of Jesus' arrival in this world. You know, churches sometimes will put on pageants. They'll have the kids in the church or the youth in the church or maybe multi-generational approach where uh, um, old and young come together and they put on the pageant, the story. And sometimes, especially being 2,000 years removed from that occurrence, from that historical happening, we can feel like it's acting, like it's some kind of story that, that isn't that wonderful, isn't that lovely, but we can miss the, the very raw, the very real nature of it. It turns out that because it was historical, there actually was a Mary. There was actually a Joseph. And they had a baby named Jesus and that baby had toes and fingers. That baby most likely cried, even though away in the manger has declared, and we can understand why the lyricist did it, said in no crying he made, most likely he used the thing that all babies use to communicate a little bit of need. I doubt Jesus goes, little help, Joseph. Um, you know, uh, hey, can you do me a solid? I probably didn't do that, probably just cried. You see, Christmas is rooted in history. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not some kind of uh, story behind a set of ethics or um, a set of philosophies. It's not even just founded in a religion. It happened. It took, it took, it took place. In fact, if we were to strip all the trimmings away from Christmas, all the trees and the lights and the gifts and the roast beasts, we would end up with a real baby in a real manger 
with real parents. You know, this may be a picture of our culture's interpretation of Christmas. And by the way, if this is you, we have contact information for therapists. (laughs) And we can help you work through it. When the Bible comes to tell the story, part of that story is simply this. Born of woman. The next thing we learn is that born of woman connects us to Hebrew history because it wasn't just a a, a random individual. This was a, a child within the covenant that an angel came to a child within the covenant and revealed to her that she would be with child. This is a, a story of a, of a young woman and, and a man that were part of families. In fact, in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3, there are these genealogies that are provided for Jesus. They trace it back through Joseph's family. Joseph serves as the head of the household. He may not be the biological father. It was God through his spirit that caused Mary to be pregnant, but as the head of the household in that culture, that um, there was this, this telling of the story, uh, of the people's story, uh, of the covenantal story, these, these real things in Hebrew history. And we're going to end up talking more about this next week, so we'll just leave this one here. But born of woman means that Jesus arrived as part of Hebrew history. The next thing we p- can pick up on is born of woman means Jesus became a human like us. Jesus became a human like us. Now, there are different places that we can go to in the Bible to provide some some information on this. The one we're going to turn to happens to be Hebrews chapter 2. And if you have your Bible or if you want to make use of one of the Bibles that we have in the rows, go ahead and open that up to Hebrews. Hebrews is toward the end of the New Testament, toward the end of the Bible. And you'll find chapter 2. And we'll begin in verse 14. We'll go through verse 18. Born of woman means Jesus became a human like us. Here's what we find in verse 14. It says the children, the children shared um, in flesh and blood. The children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook or took hold of the same things. This is what Jesus did. In fact, we may be wondering what, what are, what's going on in this text. And if we were to move up to verse 13, just ahead of it, we find that the author is quoting from Isaiah, the prophet, and from chapter 8, that there's this statement that, that Isaiah uh, um, provides in there and, and, and the reference to the children, the, the children of God, the, the people of God. And, and the children share in blood and flesh. That, that, In fact, you can even touch your own hands. You know that every single person in here has flesh and has blood. If we were to cut our skin, all of us would bleed, flesh and blood. And so the author here tells us that he himself, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things. In verse 17, we read the words um, that Jesus made like his brothers in every respect. Made like his brothers or sisters in every respect. Jesus became one of the girls. Jesus became one of the guys. Jesus became a regular bloke. Jesus became a member of Team Human. He grew. He got weary. He slept. He wept. 
He got angry. He drank. He ate. He talked. He taught. He died. Because he was human, he can relate to you. Because he's human, he knows you. He knows our condition. He knows what we struggle with. He's been there. He's done that. And because he was human, he has made it possible for us to approach him. There are some pictures in the Gospels that give just such wonderful insight to this very approachableness of Jesus. The, the way that Jesus would approach people and, and people would be able to approach him. One of them comes to us in Matthew chapter 8. It's the story of, of, a, of a man who said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The, the man was a leper. And the text tells us that Jesus reached out his hand. Now, if you've been in church at all, you, you, you know that 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 lepers at that time, they were the unclean. You, you don't touch them. You don't come near them. They were to announce their presence. They, they were to stay away from people. And, and here this leper has, this person with a skin disease has called out to Jesus, if you will, Lord, you can make me clean. And Jesus takes his hand and reaches out and touches the person. That was a, a human hand. Yes, it's the Son of God. It's the divine one that came, came into this work, world. The, the, the second person of the Trinity is present here. And he reaches out with a human hand and touches the individual. And the individual becomes clean. There's a story of, in John chapter 9. His disciples, Jesus' disciples, were interested in trying to make some kind of a theological point or learning a theological lesson. And so they come across a blind man, and, and the disciples ask Jesus, they ask him, uh, this person's blindness, is it because he sinned or is it because his parents sinned? And Jesus' response was, really, it's, it's neither of those reasons. It's because um, it, it provides an opportunity for God to work, for God to be glorified. And what Jesus does in that encounter is that, that he, he spits into the dirt, human spit, human saliva into the dirt. And he takes his human hands and he mixes the dirt together and he makes mud out of it. And he takes that dirt with the human saliva in it, his saliva, and he reaches out and he anoints the eyes of the blind man. Can you picture what it would have been for the blind man. In fact, if you want to, take your own hands. You don't have to, but if you want to, take your own hands. You can close your eyes. And as if, as if you're that blind man, and these hands come to you, these fingers come to you, and they put, blood, they put mud on your eyes. Jesus, these are his fingers, his hands. We have the picture of Jesus taking children and and putting his hand on them and, and, and blessing them. We have a picture of Jesus taking his hands and breaking bread. And so at a table together with others, this is, yes, it's the Son of God, but Jesus is one of us, breaking bread. There's even a story in Luke 24 of after Jesus was resurrected, 
And the disciples saw him, and Jesus was coming to them, and the disciples saw him, and they thought it was a spirit. They weren't sure. And Jesus goes, look, see, see here my hands, see here my side where I, I, I was speared on the cross. And he goes, touch them, touch them. In fact, maybe even now if you want to, go ahead and touch your hands. Maybe just put a thumb in the middle of your palm or just below um, uh, your hand and feel that. Those are the hands that were nailed to the cross. You know, when, when I moved here, uh, I made this decision, and boy, I, I reflected on it a number of times over the years. I made a decision because it just seemed like the easier way at the time. I kept my 402 phone number. It's an Omaha phone number. And I have found myself time and time and time and time again that when I call somebody in the 309, I wonder, will they even take my call? Who do they think this phone call is from? Somebody from the outside? Someone who's not one of us? Will this get in the way of me making contact? I even find it for myself. If I get a 309 call, more than likely I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to assume it's probably someone from the church. Or, um, I, but if I get one from a different area code that I don't recognize, I figure it's nobody I need to pay attention to. Here's what Jesus did. When he arrived, he went all in. He went all in. He took on our area code. He took on our reality. He became human like us. Now, in Jesus' case, however, we find that um, he became even more human than we are. He became even more human than we are. You see, the uh, author of Hebrews wants to make sure that in understanding Jesus as human, that we... Um, also remember that Jesus was without sin. And so in a couple different verses, 4.15 and 7.26, the author underscores Jesus was innocent and without sin. You know, there's only been three humans like that. Jesus, and then Adam and Eve, before the fall. They were created in God's image, and they were declared good. And they were without sin. They were in the garden. It wasn't until they, they chose to go against God's agenda for their life, to, to, to disobey what God would have for them, that then humanity became marred, broken, less than human the way God had intended us to be. And one day we know that through the redemption that we have in Christ, that we'll be, all, all will be made new and that there will be no, no more sin and, and we'll regain that kind of, humani hu, uh, that kind of humanity. Jesus became human like us, even more human than us. So then we can move on to born of woman means that he became our help. Or we could say it in becoming a human like us, he became our help. Take a look at the second part of verse 14 in Hebrews 2. That through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power over death. And then in verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. He is the destroyer of the devil and the deliverer of the enslaved. He becomes our help. In other words, in verse 16, we can read the words, he helps the offspring of Abraham. What he does to conquer the evil one 
the one who was the deceiver of that original couple, the one who then brings in death into this, into this reality of ours, that in that way he didn't have authority over death beforehand, but, but in, the, in the midst of how, how we now live, that, that this death reigns over us and we live in fear. You might say, I don't live in fear of death. And yet we go about scrambling our lives because we know and we feel like they're finite. We don't want to lose the opportunity. We want it to be about us. And there's this fear of death. And, and, and Jesus accomplishes the destruction of the one who has the power over us and delivers us from that enslavement. Um, there's a word actually being used in the text, and uh, Hawthorne in his commentary brings this out. There's this w- word that uh, can be translated as, as champion. A champion, or like last week we were talking about hero. And we could talk about Jesus as the son of God hero, the superhero that comes into our, our world. But we can also talk about Jesus as human being our hero. His humanity, it turns out, was his ticket to the cross. Now when we get tickets, we like to get tickets to things that are enjoyable. We like to get tickets to theaters. We get tickets to sporting events. We get tickets to Broadway. We get, if we want to travel, we get tickets to travel and get somewhere we want to go. But for Jesus, his humanity, his being made human became his ticket to the cross. It allowed him to become our substitute on that cross. That his death, his, his atoning death could be applied to us. He is our help. He could die for us because he was one of us. And then his death meant death to death. His death destroyed the devil. His death meant our freedom. He is our champion. Now, in becoming a human like us, we can also say he also became our high priest. This is the way the author here talks about it. In verse 17, we read the words, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful or compassionate and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We've mentioned it before, a priest. What does a priest do? A a, a priest, well, one thing a priest does is the priest stands on behalf of God before the people We know that we hope that any priest, male or female, that any priest would be able to have a really good relationship with God and be able to represent God to the people. But the the priest also stands on behalf of the people before God. And because Jesus is one of us, he can be that high priest. He can represent us before the eternal one. He becomes our high priest. He also, we find out in Hebrews, he becomes the sacrifice himself. You see, Jesus alone could make the sacrifice once and all to set us free because he was without sin. He was one of us, but he had not sinned. So his death was not just for his own well-being. It didn't have to be for him. It was for us. There was a a theologian that said, Jesus' divinity guaranteed the efficacy of our salvation. You get that? So his divinity made sure that it actually worked, that, 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 that it, could, it could work for all, all, all of God's children, that all the people who, who come to God through Jesus Christ, it, it could be effective because of Jesus' divinity. But Jesus' humanity guaranteed the 
applicability. That's a word. Try that. Um, it, did, it, it guaranteed that it could be applied to us because he was human. All right, the last one here. In becoming a human like us, Jesus has become our hope. In verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Maybe herein lies our first application then. Next time you're tempted, know that Jesus has been there too. He knows. He really knows. Some, some people might say, how can Jesus know? He, he, he's never been tempted to that place where he, he gave in, where, where, where he went the, the way that God would not have him go. How can he really know? Well, others can argue too that, that he knows about temptation beyond what we know because he's never given in. He knows that next level and the level beyond that, that the temptation was before him. This isn't just like, well, he knew temptation, but, you know, it wasn't really temptation. He knew temptation. And so maybe the next time we find ourselves at a place where we're tempted and we feel that, maybe we're tempted to um, be prideful or hurtful or uh, we're tempted to th- see things that, we're not really, that aren't constructive and they're, and they're destructive to others. If we're tempted to gossip behind someone's back, whatever the temptation is, maybe we can realize, wait a minute, Jesus has been here. Jesus knows this situation. He knows what it's like to have this experience. And we can lean into Jesus in that moment and we can know he's been tempted but, but he didn't sin and he's the one who is our Lord and he knows. Maybe then a second application in light of Jesus being our hope would be that we could then choose to approach him. You know, in the Old Testament there was very much the teaching and the very true teaching that, that one could not look upon the face of of, of God and live. That God is so other, so, so full of love and so pure and holy, so sovereign, so mighty, so wonderful that you could not look upon his face and live. But then the second person of the Trinity, the, the one God in three persons, and this, this second person of the Trinity comes into this world as a human. And we can look clearly into his face. People looked into his face And knowing that Jesus has become one of us opens that door even more that we can approach him. You've seen news reports in the past, I'm sure you have, uh, about about whales that'll get too close to to the beach or they go down the wrong canal or something like that. And maybe you would stand on the beach and if you saw that and you saw this whale coming too close and you know what happens when the tide goes out and the whale gets, gets landed on the beach and this sorrowful thing. And so maybe if you stand on the beach and, and you stood there and you go, hey whale, turn around and you could shout your loudest and, and you could want it to happen, but it wouldn't happen. But just think, just think, if you could become a whale, you could become a whale and you could swim out there and, and communicate and provide a path. Maybe you've seen some of those films where, um, you know, someone's on vacation and they come across, maybe that a national park, and there's, there's bison on the road. 
and pe- people get out of their cars and take pictures, but at some point people get a little tired, like, seriously, um, we, got, we got dinner plants. And, and so you might honk your horn, bison, get out of the way, honk, honk the horn, you want to get them out of the way. But what if, what if you really wanted to work and you became a bison and you could show them the way? And so Jesus came into this world that we might know the way. And all this occurs with three little words. Born of woman. Jesus was one of us. Yes, he was more, but he wasn't any less. You know, today the Edwards family, they, they lit the uh, third Advent candle. They, they, the one we have to uh, assign the idea of peace to. And we know that, that in what God provides is a peace that passes all understanding. That, that it's security, it's wholeness, it's, it's eternity with God. What's true in heaven can be true for us even now. That, that there's this peace, this security. In part today, we can have the peace that passes all understanding because our Savior knows fully um, and knows us fully, having experienced what it is to be human. You know, next time someone says to you, Merry Christmas, you could reply, Yes, born of woman! Next time someone says happy Christmas to you, you could say, yes, he's one of us. Okay, so we might not do that. But you could think it. You could know it. You could remember it. What makes Christmas merry? What makes Christmas happy? Born of woman. Jesus became one of us. And then died on a cross that we would have life forevermore. He took what was meant for us that we could then be meant to be with God forever and ever. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're grateful. We thank you that the living God, the the one that was with God in the beginning, who was God and is God, that you came into this world and you became one of us. Keep drawing us closer to you. God, thank you that you would send Jesus into this world, that he indeed would be our champion, would fight that battle that that we could not win and he was victorious, that we would be victorious through him. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. In fact, in his name, we pray these things. Amen.